If you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, please let me invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs. If you're trying to figure out Proverbs, find Psalms and then go right. You can find Proverbs there. If, if you do not have a Bible, let me, it, would, it would most likely help you to have a copy of God's Word this morning. You, there is a Black Pew Bible in the seat ahead of you. You can grab it. You can find our text on page 494 this morning. Now this morning we're continuing our study through the book of Proverbs for the summer, and just as a bit of an introduction and maybe a warning, it's important to recognize what I'm trying to do is that we are taking a thematic approach to the book of Proverbs. Um, We talked about last week how Proverbs could be considered a book filled with riddles. And so that being said, we're used to at Harbin's walking through line by line. Um, We are going to be exposing or expositing what's in the text today, but we're going to be tracing various themes this morning, um, particularly the theme of wisdom's call. So if you look at the book of Proverbs, we looked at the last, this last week with the outline, you could break down Proverbs into seven sections. This, this section right here, which starts in Proverbs 1, chapter 8, and goes all the way to the beginning of chapter 10, end of chapter 9, this is the main argument of the book. And this includes um, Solomon as a king giving wise instruction to his son. And so our text today is actually going to start in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 through 33, and then we will go from there. We will end up later in Proverbs 8 through 9, but don't worry about that yet. Let me start you with a question for consideration. Let's say that a king of Israel approached you and said, if I am to instruct my son, what are some of the most important things that he may need to know? If you were called into a secret council and trying to instruct a king, what's the most important things to know? Now, there's a lot of things. There really isn't a right answer here. Many of you guys may say, let's start with the king's relationship with the Lord. What does it mean to be a king of Israel, God's people? You could start there. Or you can spend a lot of time looking at the various skills or requirements. As a king, how do you, what do you know about um, foreign policy? What do you know about military tactics? What do you know about government, economics? There's a lot of practical things. If you don't know how to do, your kingdom isn't going to last long. Now, you can think about lots of different things, but one thing that we may overlook, a king needs to know how to pick friends, right? If you are a king of Israel, who you pick as your friends is pretty important, because now that you're king, a lot of people are probably vying for your attention, right? Proverbs 19.4 says, wealth brings many friends, and that isn't always a good thing. So one of the things that a king needs to know how to do is how to pick good friends. Another thing is important, a king is going to have to have a wife, I bet that many people were probably interested in knowing who is this young king eyeing at the ball or the the latest event? Who is he talking to? That would have been a thing of interest for many people within the nation. I would say that King Solomon most likely has his own agenda. I think we see that in our text this morning because as King Solomon is watching his sons, he knows that there is one particular person who will help them well. One person that he wants to make sure that they become intimately familiar with, and that is the character of Lady Wisdom. So let me invite you now, let us stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be reading Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 20 through 33. And so again, we we stand to recognize the authority of God's word as we hear it read this morning. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the marketplaces, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen. Having stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then ye will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but not find me because they have hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill with their own devices. 
For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is God's word. May he write his eternal truths upon our hearts. Please be seated. So it's important to remember that Proverbs is a book about a father's instruction to a son. And the reason why we're starting here is that if you look at the book of Proverbs and this section as a whole, this section begins and ends with calls. Wisdom is calling, both here and at the end. And so this call serves as a book and a part, a a launching point for understanding this section. If we don't understand these points correctly, I think that we're going to be misled. Now again, why is it important for a king to be wise? Everyone is invested in whether or not they have a wise king or a foolish king. If the king is foolish, guess what happens to the rest of the nation? So there is an investment in Solomon in whether or not his son learns wisdom, and he chooses to use as a tool this picture of wisdom as a person, as a woman who is out in the streets and calling. Lady Wisdom is standing out in public. She is calling to all those who will hear. And Lady Wisdom has a message for, his original, for her original audience, for future readers, and also for us this morning. I think that you could boil down the main thrust of the section of scripture we're looking at today into a main idea. Let me give it to you. Here's the main idea that I think that wisdom is trying to get across. Embrace wisdom and resist folly. You won't regret it once you know who wisdom really is. Embrace wisdom and resist folly. You won't regret it once you know who wisdom really is. And like I'm going to draw us back to many times through our study, the pursuit of wisdom is something that should be inherently practical and relevant for Christians. Because if you get to the New Testament, one of the main things that the New Testament authors hit Christians with is, are you wise? Are you walking in wisdom? So when Lady Wisdom is calling, she also has a message for us this morning. Here's your first point for our sermon. The call of wisdom. The call of wisdom. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, begins with a wide lens shot of a normal scene in the city of Israel. If you look down at it, what you see is that you see a city with streets and markets and corners. You see what would look like to be a busy marketplace on a regular morning. You would see in in the nation of Israel, the people were very communal. So they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have things like that. So if whatever you needed for the day, you would go into the town. People would have been traveling every day towards the marketplace. And then in the middle of this scene, you see a woman grabbing a box, flipping it over, stepping onto the box, and she begins to teach. She begins to instruct. People have commented upon this and actually have made, made the suggestion that Lady Wisdom is serving somewhat as like a street preacher, trying to stand in a box and just proclaiming God's word to whoever, whoever comes by. But Lady Wisdom is putting herself in the middle of the action and she is teaching. She is making her word public. But as we look at the picture further, we recognize that there is a tension in the air. Why? Well, we get the, we get the sense pretty quickly that Lady Wisdom is frustrated. Look down to verse 22. How long, O oh simple ones? How long? She's been doing this for a while. Will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? One of the things that we see pretty quickly in verses 20 through 22 is wisdom's attitude. That's your next point. Wisdom's attitude. What defines wisdom's attitude? She is frustrated. She is irritated. She is at the end of her rope. Her patience is gone, and she is letting her audience have it. What's the cause of her frustration? No one is listening to me. No one is heeding me. I am trying to give you wisdom, and you all don't care. You would rather be simple scoffers and fools. Now, I think to understand this passage, we need to dive into what these words mean, because the words here are particularly important. 
So for example, the first word that we run into is the simple ones. The simple ones. Now this word has various nuances in meaning. In some places, it refers to someone's age. Simple one is someone's age. Look quickly back up to Proverbs chapter one, verse four. Just skim your eyes back up to the beginning of the book. He talks about giving prudence to the simple, and then what's the parallel idea? To the youth. So the idea of simple in various passages in the Old Testament refers to someone of, at the age of youth, which they would have considered from age 17 to age 30. But there's another idea that's important to grasp as well. The idea of simple is the idea also of gullible. The person is gullible. Another way to think about this, this person is in a very formative age. There is a level of plasticity to their personality and to who they're going to be. So this, I, this age rage has incredible potential and also incredible danger. The main point here and what Lady Wisdom is getting after is that the simple are easily swayed. They're easily moved. They can be easily led into danger and into harm. And this is not just from this, this word, but also from all of Proverbs. A, a commentator, Bruce Walke, puts it this way, just in summarizing what this word can mean in the book of Proverbs. He says, according to the descriptive terms used with simple or gullible, he is a youth. He lacks sense and is neither shrewd nor insightful nor wise, but weak-willed and easily seduced. Since he is a youth, folly is bound up in his heart. And without a commitment and open to various influences, he can, be, he can either be led or misled. So what is the major contention that Lady Wisdom has with the simple? They are quite content. They love their simplicity. They love being gullible. They don't really mind their lack of understanding. They don't mind their ignorance. They're past the point where they should be wise, but they are too content. In a sense, Lady Wisdom is looking forward to the delayed adolescent who is playing video games instead of moving out of his house or out of his parents' basement. You should be farther along than where you are. But here, make sure you you note something pretty important. Look down at verse 20. Do you see what Lady Wisdom draws attention to with one of the, the parts of the problems? that the people there have disordered affections. Lady Wisdom points to the role of affections in the pursuit of wisdom. What's their biggest problem? They have disordered loves. They love the wrong things. They have disordered passions, desires. They, They have set their hearts on the wrong things. And this is instructive for us because the pursuit of wisdom is not just an intellectual act, isn't it? The pursuit of wisdom is something that is inherently tied to our loves and also tied to our desires. So whether or not I'm going to be wise in life, whether or not I'm going to be foolish in life is not just something that's up here, but something that is deeply tied to our hearts. Let's think about some of the biggest issues that you may seek wisdom for in life. These aren't things that you put loves and emotions on the back burners. Do you pursue a spouse dispassionately? No, that's a mistake. Do you pursue a job dispassionately? Do you handle your money with a a, a cold, stoic perspective? Many times as we're trying to get wise in life, what we're trying to do is that we're trying to wrestle with our desires, get a handle on what we're wanting, and then trying to hold up our desires to Scripture. So for example, are you... Which one applies to you? Are you the type of person who takes your desires and then submits them to God's word? Or are you the type of person who takes what you want and then tries to baptize them? God, just throw some water on what I want. It'll be fine. I'll write the contract. You just sign, God. I mean, if I want it so badly, why can it be wrong? Right? Let's look back at verse 22. There are two other characters that are introduced. We talked about the simple, but there's two other people we need to know. You have the simple, then you also have the scoffer, and you also have the fool. How people have thought about this is that the simple, the scoffer, and the fool lay something up of a path towards folly. So you have the simple who are malleable and young. They still recognize their ignorance, but the scoffer is starting to be hardened. 
in his foolishness. He's a little bit farther down the line. What was simple in a game now has turned into scoffing. You could also translate scoffer as mocker. And here Solomon is also prophetic. He sees the rise of the internet troll, the mocker, the one who's always in his folly casting mockery on the things that are true or the things of God, the things that lead to wisdom. Gullibility has had its effect. The scoffer is the skeptic. He's the critic. He's the agnostic. He doesn't ever say what he believes, but he is more content attacking anyone who has beliefs. Proverbs 21, 24. The scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So you have the simple, you have the scoffer, and the last one is the fool. You know what a fool is? A fool is someone who literally embodies foolishness. And that's why the late Lady Wisdom's message has such a sense of urgency. She is looking at the simple and she sees where this thing is going. And if they don't hear her, heed her warning, they are in trouble. They are heading towards ruin. Now I do think that Solomon and Lady Wisdom are talking about these ideas in a way that may make us uncomfortable. So just as a thought for reflection, what would happen if you were walking to someone, walked into someone, someone at work, someone at home, and you called them simple? If you called them gullible? If you called them a scoffer? Now, that probably wouldn't go well for many reasons. I do not recommend it. But I think that one of the ways that why this is difficult is today when we talk about people, we don't talk about people in as clear of language. When we talk about people, we don't spend much time focusing on character or on virtues, but more thinking about people in, rec- in, in reference to their actions. I think I've also just seen in the world there is a hesitancy to make such hard statements. I mean, who are you really going to call a fool? In this age of moral relativity, and even sadly in the church, it is hard to talk negatively yet constructively about people and their actions and behavior. How many times when you're talking to people today where negative character traits or mistakes are just excused away? You know, I just didn't have enough sleep. We joke off. I didn't have enough coffee. I haven't had enough food today. No, it's just chemical imbalances. It's just my biology. It's, it's my family. I don't really have responsibilities. It's just who I am. I just had a bad day. Or else think about just how we talk about villains today. You know, we don't have villains anymore. We just have antiheroes. From the Joker to Cruella DeVille to Loki. You know, they're just misunderstood. If you knew where they came from, you know, I'm not excusing their actions, but, you know, just know the backstory. Make a little more sense why they are the way they are. So what ends up happening, though, is that we start navigating away from what Proverbs focuses on and talks about, and that is the issue of character. That is the issue of nature. And Proverbs, Solomon, Lady Wisdom, they have no qualms about dropping labels like wise, foolish, diligent, sluggards, simple, people of discernment. Because you need to understand that when Proverbs is talking about people, Proverbs is using language to summarize what the general patterns of someone's life reveals. So if I was to look at someone at every aspect of their life, what would I see? If I was to look at you, Christian, in every aspect of your life, what would I see? So for example, you know, how are you in the morning, at night? How are you on a good day, a bad day? When you're around people you like, around people you don't like, around people who like you, people who don't like you, at your highest, at your lowest. The proverb does, they take all of these data points and maybe is more discerning about ourselves than we are. Have you ever heard the analogy, you know, if it looks like a horse and if it walks like a horse and if it talks like a horse, it means they don't talk, right? What is it? It's a horse. So if it looks like a fool and it talks like a fool and it walks like a fool, it probably is a if it looks like someone whose lives live by, marked by bitterness and they talk like someone whose life's marked by bitterness and they walk like someone whose life's 
marked by bitterness than they probably are. You know, many times when we look at Proverbs, they want to be a lot more honest. They want us to be a lot more honest with us than we are with ourselves. How many times does Proverbs just drop words? Wise, righteous, prudent, diligent. I haven't found a word that's a combination of those things. So you either are this or you are that. So Harbins, what type of people are we? Proverbs' message, or Lady Wisdom's message, begins in verse 23. We read it earlier, but look down there real quick. Her message and her call is simple. That's the next point for you, point B or letter B, Lady Wisdom's message. It's pretty simple. Turn. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. It's fascinating, isn't it? Even here we have in seed form the word for repentance. Her message is simple. All I'm calling for you to do is to turn. Come to me. Embrace me. Abide with me. Let me show you wisdom. Embrace me as a friend. Leave your simple friends, your foolish friends, your scoffing friends. Come to me and I will pour out my wisdom upon you. Now, I would say this may sound like a very strange way to talk about wisdom. Usually when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about things like ideas or tricks for life. But what Proverbs is saying is that we need to think about our approach to wisdom like a person that we embrace, right? Solomon is absolutely convinced that this is the best way to approach it. We talk about pursuing wisdom in ways nowhere even close to this. Wisdom is found in the right book you read or putting the right habits into place, having a certain experience. You talk to someone who's been in the wilds or had a near-death experience. Now I have a new vision on life, new perspective. But Solomon wants us to pursue wisdom in the same way that we would pursue a person. We should treat wisdom like a friend, a companion, or even an intimate partner. And this point is very important because the struggle for wisdom often occurs within the context of relationships. Who you know, who you hang out with, who you work with, who you decide to marry. All of these relationships can impact your understanding of wisdom. So I was reading this this morning, but Proverbs 22, 24 through 25 says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Solomon himself knew a little bit about the importance of wisdom and people that he chose to associate with. What did his wives do to him? Or think about Solomon's son, Rehoboam. The entire nation of Israel literally splits because he listened to the wrong people. Or Ahab, you know? The greatest problem in Ahab's life was his wife Jezebel and her pagan idolatry. So Solomon, I think, is right to use this analogy of wisdom. If we want to pursue wisdom, we need to think about it as pursuing a person. We need to think about it in the same way that we would approach a person, even as an intimate companion. So in the same way that a husband would approach and embrace his wife and a wife, her husband, this is how we should approach the topic in the pursuit of wisdom. There's something of the clinging, the the closeness that Solomon wants us to see. If I want to be wise, I need to embrace wisdom intimately. You can find this in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 4. Solomon says later, say to wisdom, you are my friend, call insight your intimate, sorry, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend. Later in Proverbs chapter 9, we'll get to there in a moment, but we see Lady Wisdom show up again and she has her final call for the book. And this time she's calling people into her houses. I have a feast, come into my house, which I've been a very intimate picture within the ancient Near East of a woman inviting a man into her home. So let's just stop and reflect for a second. Which question best describes your pursuit of wisdom? Which metaphor, I'm going to give you a few, 
what, what picture best describes your pursuit of wisdom? Now, we haven't actually talked about the things we do to become wise. We'll get there next week. But just think about this briefly. We become wise through God's word, right? We get wise through fellowship with wise people. We become wise through seeking the Lord's will in prayer and through learning how to be discerning in the world around us. So what metaphor best describes your use of these things? Is your pursuit of wisdom like a side hobby that you never have time for? Is your pursuit of wisdom like a discipline that's fallen off or the way onto the wayside, like going to the gym? Or on my best days, I try to get something in? Or is it like getting to know and becoming an intimately familiar with another person? Guys, I dated. I was successful. Carrie is not here, but I've been there. You know, whenever you're dating someone, you, you, it's not like this, like, oh, hey, I may run into you. There's this pursuit. There's this desire, like, oh, hey, you happen to be here. I didn't, you know, know that you were coming because I asked all your friends where you'd be. There's this intimate desire to be known and to be embraced by someone else. Does that, uh, does that apply to your pursuit of wisdom? Because in the same way that you won't get to know another person through impersonal and unintentional interactions, you won't find wisdom through an unintentional, when I have time, on my death, best days approach. It just won't work. The life of wisdom is the one that requires an undivided and fixed focus in pursuing wisdom according to God's word. Are you embracing wisdom? The final section of wisdom's call runs from verse 24 to 32. Lady Wisdom ends up describing the results of her calls. They have gone unheeded. And last, we see Wisdom's warning. That's the letter C, Wisdom's warning. Because Lady Wisdom has a very clear and a very sober warning. And it is a warning that we find all over Scripture that if you do not listen to me, you will reap what you sow. Now, he, she says this in many ways, but you can summarize it in verse 31 through 32, 33. Let's look at this together. Verse 31 through 33. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. You don't listen to me? Fine. You will get what you sow. Now, there's an important detail that I think helps us to make sense of this idea. What does embracing wisdom give us? It gives us a lot of things. I think one of the things that wisdom does, though, is that wisdom gives us perception, wisdom gives us vision. Because what wisdom does is that wisdom lays out life in a very clear cause and effect, action, consequence sort of way. That if I have wisdom, I can discern the paths that are ahead of me. I can have vision to see what's going on around me. If I walk down this path, this will happen. If I walk down that path, if I walk down wisdom and if I embrace God's word, I will see the world and I will find the things that lead to blessing. But what happens if I ignore it? I will find myself in death and in destruction. Because what happens without wisdom? Our vision is cloudy. The decisions are more difficult than they appear to be. But think about this as well. If, if wisdom helps me to have discernment, then something of wisdom is future-oriented. Wisdom helps me to look into the future and see what may be coming down the path. You know what that requires, though? That requires faith. And here's why. Do I have faith? Do I trust God's word that what he says leads to destruction leads to destruction? Do I trust God's word that what he says leads to life leads to life? That wisdom is truly wisdom. That foolishness is truly foolishness. So what happens many times? We come to a fork in the road and our desires, our lack of disciplines, make everything just foggy, right? 
So, but it's only not just with God's word. I need to embrace by faith that what scripture says leads to life, leads to life. If I'm going to walk down there, am I going to trust God's wisdom, lady wisdom, or am I going to trust my own wisdom? Because scripture is pretty clear. There's a direct line, cause, effect, event, outcome, wisdom, life, folly, destruction. Are we going to listen or not? Because here's the deal. If you are living your life without wisdom, one day you will find yourself in trouble. Proverbs is very clear that if you do not heed wisdom, the path leads towards destruction. And here's the thing, guys. Lady wisdom isn't going to bail you out. Rather, when you find destruction... Lady Wisdom isn't going to do anything except laugh at you. Look at verse 24 again. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsels and have none of my reproofs, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror strikes you. Sad picture, right? But wisdom's done all she can do. Her hands are clean. She has pleaded, she has begged, and her wisdom has gone unnoticed. She's been laughed at. She's been scoffed at. But you know, she's not really bothered. Because if you don't listen, you will just get what you are sowing. There's a proverb that's always stuck in me. Proverbs 10, 23. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. Try to use that with my kids. I don't think they enjoy it. But doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. People look at wisdom and they're like, why would I do that? It's poetic justice though, isn't it? People now who walk by lady wisdom and laugh will one day find lady wisdom laughing. And it's a sobering picture that for every sinner, every scoffer, every simple person, their jokes and mocking have an expiration date. Because if they never learn to embrace wisdom, if you never learn to embrace wisdom, where are you going? Verse, verse 32 is clear. They're simple, are killed by their turning away. Death and destruction. But what is the end of wisdom? What's the end of the fear of the Lord? Verse 29, life. Whoever listens to me, verse 33, will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, remember also that whenever scripture talks about blessing in life, it's always in view of eternity. And so there are many people who are walking the wise life now who everyone else may look like, really? I want to go down that path? But guys, once Jesus returns, everything will become particularly clear, right? So when he's talking about security, life, guys, We're sowing an investment for eternity here. So friends, how do you approach the pursuit of wisdom? Are you approaching wisdom like an intimate friend? Are you heeding her calls? Right now, do you even see her hands stretched out towards you? Friends, hasn't God given us more than enough to be wise? We have even more than what Solomon and his sons have. We have a full canon. We have the Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. Every person in this room is a gift to you for wisdom. You have a body of believers. Friends, hear me clearly. If you're a member at Harbin's, you have no excuse in your pursuit of wisdom. So re-examine your priorities, re-examine your desires, set your sights on what God says is most important, and embrace wisdom. Here's another reason, though, why you should embrace wisdom. Because Lady Wisdom isn't the only voice that's calling out to you. And for this, flip over to Proverbs chapter 9. Flip over real quick. Proverbs chapter 9. It'd be helpful if you followed me. Proverbs chapter 9 begins in many months the same way as we have seen in Proverbs chapter 1. Wisdom shows up again. She is calling to those around her. It's another picture of her house. 
And this time, she is, it's her final plea, starting in verse four. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat my bread, drink the wine that I have mixed, leave your simple ways, and live in the way of insight. But then verse 13. You see it? We're introduced to another woman who also wants your attention. And if you weren't paying attention, she looks a lot like Lady Wisdom. And that is Lady Folly. Point two, the call of Lady Folly. You know, go to verses 14 and 15. She looks a lot like Lady Wisdom, doesn't she? She also sits at her house at the door of her house. She also has taken a seat in the highest place of the town. She also is calling to those who are passing by. But her demeanor is quite different, isn't it? Verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She is undisciplined. She is given over to immorality. And she also wants your attention. And she has a very different message, starting in verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now in verse 17, the language of stolen water and bread eaten in, eaten in secret are euphemisms for sexual immorality. Folly is standing up as a mistress, offering secret and hidden pleasures. Folly is trying to grab your attention. Even she says, if you go back in verse 15, calling to those who are on a straight way. She's trying to get people to come to her home. She is loud. She is trying to play on your own desires, maximizing pleasure while minimizing the dangers. It'll be fun. It'll feel good. You'll enjoy it. No one will know. What does it hurt? Now, I think at this point, people can make an honest confession. Just based upon face value, there are ways in which Lady Folly looks a lot more welcoming and inviting than Lady Wisdom. I mean, Lady Wisdom's always yelling at me. She gets on to me for all the little stuff. Folly, she just wants to have a good time. Lady Wisdom's always death and destruction. She even says she'll laugh at me. I mean, Lady Folly, she's laid back. She's less serious. She's more chill. Lady Wisdom's always so uptight. Why doesn't she calm down? You can't live your life at that pace. You know, Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly isn't perfect, but she sounds a little more realistic. She's not all doom and gloom. But Solomon cuts through the haze and clearly reveals Lady Folly's end. Why should you avoid her door? Because what happens to those who enter into her house? Enjoy those pleasures, and you never come out. Verse 18. He does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Now, one of the greatest tactics of Lady Folly is not just the promised pleasure, but she also wants to cloud your vision. She wants to cloud your perception. Don't focus on tomorrow. Don't focus on someone else's wife. Don't focus on what may come. Be right now. Be right here. Enjoy it while it's here. Eat, drink. Yeah. There are no clear paths in life. We can't always see. You know, you, you could probably get away with it. No one will know. Wisdom wants you to clearly see the line between cause and effect. Action, outcome. Folly is like, eh, who knows? There's this interesting scene in um, Spider-Man Far From Home when the villain Mysterio is... Um, he, he, Mysterio plays with vision. It's a lot of perception and reality is, is how he fights with Spider-Man. One of the things he does, there's this scene where Spider-Man comes in and he has all these cameras playing and clouding his vision on where he actually is. So he ends up fighting all these things that aren't actually real. But Spider-Man doesn't know until right at the end that Mysterio is leading him towards a train. Until the last minute you see everything go white. You see him and gone. That's exactly what Folly does. You don't see, you look on the pleasure, 
And then when the train comes and hits you, you have no idea where it came from. So here's the picture of Solomon, for Solomon, for the kings of Israel, and then for us. There are two people, either if you're a guy, two women, if you're a gal, two men, they're calling to each of us. One is defined by wisdom and holds out discernment, life, safety. The other one holds out pleasures, moments of delight, but clouds your vision. Who are you listening to? Who are you embracing? And it's not just sexual pleasure that Lady Folly's holding out for you. It's anything that clouds your vision. That's her tactic. So who are you listening to? Who are you embracing? Because here's a hard truth that all of us need to wrestle with. You are always embracing something. Your heart will always go somewhere. So let's revisit something I said earlier. Does your life reveal a, a life that is defined by an intimate embrace of wisdom? As you pursue wisdom like an intimate companion, by prayer, the local church, wise counselors. Because here's the truth. If your life is not defined by an embrace of wisdom, by God's word, by wise counselors, then who are you embracing? Because it's not Lady Wisdom, then guess who it is? Because you have to recognize that our sinful hearts play into Lady Wisdom's tactics. The gravitational pull of sin is always pulling us closer and closer to her door. If we're not striving for wisdom, guys, you will end up there. And this is really, really important because do you live your life with a daily recognition of you, of the need to embrace wisdom for things to go well? Do I live my life recognizing that if I don't embrace wisdom, I am a disaster for everyone around me? You need wisdom to rightly order your heart to God's will. You need wisdom to discern the true character of the things around you. You need wisdom to see the path that God has for you. Not every week, not every month, every single day. You need wisdom to see the hooks that are in follies, temptations. And if you're not embracing wisdom, all these things are off. Your emotions will be off. Your desires will be off. Your beliefs will be off. Your decisions will be off. Two verses for you, Proverbs 14.8. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Proverbs 19.27. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. You know, I probably should have heard this more in my life, but I've never heard this from a Christian. You know what? I haven't read my Bible today. I haven't prayed today. I haven't been to church in a while. I haven't confessed my sin. So you probably just shouldn't take anything that I say seriously and write because I'm probably just a disaster for everyone around me right? If you're not embracing lady wisdom, you are embracing someone. So who are you embracing? Let me give you a real practical example for how this can play out. Let's talk about dating and engagement. I actually think that this is a natural application from this text because Solomon would have been very interested to know who his son was embracing. Now I need to put a big caveat in here. Some of you guys are dating and engaged I am not, I do not have anyone in particular in mind, but if the shoe fits. But this is for all of us to consider, right? If you have people who, in your life who want to get married, if you have kids who are thinking about these things, if you ever want to pursue marriage, so do you think that the selection of a spouse is a pretty serious thing to need wisdom for? Right? You are literally selecting someone to become one flesh with. This is not a choice to take lightly. Once you are married, you are making the greatest oaths and responsibilities any two people could make towards one another, to love and to serve one another in every circumstance until death parts. Once it's done, it's done. You're married. So it's a pretty big deal, right? 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 
Thank you. So, what should define this season? Prayer, God's word, counsel, discernment, patience, analyzing your spiritual state, analyzing your potential spouse's spiritual state, all under God's word. What so often happens in in this phase? Relational isolation. Emotionally charged communication. Interrupted time together. Pushing boundaries. Guys, do you not think that all these things are going to mess with your emotions and your vision and your decisions? Do you not think it will impact your wisdom? So if you're in this season or if someone you love is in this season, here's something very practical you can do. If I was to look at how you're handling the situation and to put up Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, who are you embracing? But not just for that. I mean, span out to any major decision we may make. If you are in the middle of a crossroads in your life and you need to make a big decision, you need to ask yourself very carefully, is my life defined by an embrace of folly or Lady Wisdom? If it's not wisdom, I need to tread very carefully. Guys, why is this important? Because the embrace of folly and wisdom is a matter of life and death. Fruitfulness and destruction. Remember, Lady Wisdom wants to give you clarity for life as you go forward. Wisdom provides a path for you to see. Folly leads to blindness. You won't see what you trip over. So who are you embracing? Lady Wisdom or Lady Folly? I hope I've given you a pretty good argument for why we should all be trying to daily embrace Lady Wisdom. But if you're, not, if you're not convinced yet, let me give you one more really quick. Because there's another reason for why all of us should embrace Lady Wisdom instead of Lady Folly, and that's because of wisdom's identity. That's your last point. Don't worry, it'll be quick if you're looking at your watches. Because here's the thing. When you start to read about Lady Wisdom, the description of Lady Wisdom makes you ask some big questions. If Solomon wants you to actually consider this as someone that you're going to embrace as an intimate companion, he's doing a pretty terrible job. Go back to chapter one. I mean, this does not sound like a realistic person at all. There are many points here that don't make any sense. Go to verse 24, for example. So in verse 24 of chapter one, he talks about how because I have called and you refuse to listen, this judgment comes. So Lady Wisdom sets herself up as, if you don't respond to me, judgment. But then go down to chapter, no, to verse 9, and then she sets up another reason for why judgment is coming. They hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Do you see what Lady Wisdom is doing there? A rejection of me is, a re- is basically you not fearing the Lord. That's a pretty high standard. Look also back at verse 23. Lady Wisdom talks about, if you turn to my reproof, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I mean, can I give you Jared? This doesn't make any sense. Or even if you go to, just in this section, the picture of her laughing over the destruction of her enemies. This almost sounds like a picture of judgment and of justice. So if we're supposed to look at these descriptions, we need to ask ourselves a question. Who actually is Lady Wisdom? This can't actually be a person. And for this, very quickly, go to chapter 8, Proverbs chapter 8. We read this earlier, so this shouldn't take long. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 begins a lot like chapter 1 and chapter 9, with wisdom's call, calling for people to come to her. And then what Solomon is doing here is giving a very good argument for why we should embrace wisdom. She's, Solomon is laying out Lady Wisdom's value. Starting in, look down at verse 8 of chapter 8. She says that all of the words of her mouth are righteous. It's a pretty good description. Verse 11, her wisdom is better than jewels. Why should we listen to Lady Wisdom? Because kings use her to reign well. Verses 14 through 15, I have counsel. By me, kings reign. She will give honor and riches and inheritance. Verses 18 through 19. Then look down at verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Well, that escalated, didn't it? Wisdom goes from talking about all these things that she gives to people, and then she takes a major step back to where? Creation. 
Verse 22, she says that wisdom was in the beginning with God, at the beginning of his work. Verses 24 through 25, wisdom was there when God created the mountains. And go to verse 30. Wisdom was a master workman with God. Wisdom delighted in the children of man. Verse 31. All right, wisdom. All right, let's stop the charade. Who are you? How were you in the beginning? How were you with God? How were things made through you and with you? Because guys, wisdom is not just a literary figure to be instructive. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom can be talked about being in the beginning with God because wisdom was in the beginning with God because wisdom was the word and the word was with God. John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And, and then 1 Corinthians 1.30, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us what? Wisdom from God. Do you see it? When the New Testament authors and even the early church, there are a lot of arguments about this in Proverbs 8, when they looked back at Proverbs and saw wisdom as a person, they saw a picture of the pre-incarnate son, the word of God. And then they saw wisdom who comes to us to make us wise by faith. Do you guys know why Solomon thought it was such a good idea for us to see the pursuit of wisdom like the embrace of a person? Because the pursuit of wisdom is the embrace of a person, and that person is Jesus. Friends, like Lady Wisdom, Jesus calls for us to turn from our foolishness and simplicity and to come to him and to embrace him as the source of our true wisdom. Why is the reward for embracing wisdom so great? Because as we embrace Christ, who is our wisdom, there we find life, security. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. By embracing Jesus, we find the way to wisdom. Even here, we see a glorious picture of the Trinity, don't we? Fear God the Father. Embrace wisdom the Son and he will pour out his spirit, the Holy Spirit, upon you. Friends, God is calling all of us, wherever you are, to leave your simplicity, foolishness, leave your sins, come to Jesus, and embrace him. And embracing him, you will find wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it instructs us and leads us into wisdom. And Father, we thank you that you gave us your son so that we who were in darkness and foolishness would come into light. Father, all of us in various ways are convicted, and even right now, the ways that we are embracing folly. But Father, we know that your command is simple. Come. Come to Jesus. Embrace him as wisdom and as truth and as life. And in him we will find life. Father, may you help us to be a people defined by an embrace of Jesus as everything that we need. Pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.